Hey friends, welcome to Girls' Night. I'm Stephanie Mae Wilson, and I am so happy that you're here. Each week, I have a girlfriend over, and we talk through one of the biggest questions we have about our lives as women. We're talking about friendships and faith and relationships and self-confidence, about our calling in life and how to live every bit of our lives to the full. Life is so much better and easier and absolutely more fun when we navigate it together as girlfriends, and I cannot wait to get started. Our guest for today's episode is a Girls' Night favorite and my dear friend, Mariko Clark, or Mari as we call her. And friends, I am so excited because I finally get to share with you that Mari has been working on an amazing book called The Book of Belonging, and I knew that we needed to have her on the show to tell us all about it. The Book of Belonging is a story Bible for kids that's filled with 30 diverse stories and illustrations that introduce kids to God through wonder, naming, and contemplation. Amazing, right? She's going to tell us way more about it in the episode. I cannot wait for you to hear her talk about this. But I do want to mention that her Kickstarter to raise funds in order to publish the book started last week. And so if you're interested in supporting her, we'll have all the links for you in the show notes for how you can do that. So technically, the Book of Belonging is a Bible for kids, but really it's for all of us. It is this incredible resource for any of us who are feeling a little bit lost in our faith. And that's what we're talking about today. In this episode, we're going to be talking through what to do when your faith no longer feels like it used to. Now, I don't know about you guys, but sometimes I think we come to a place where the faith that we were given growing up or the faith that we picked up ourselves along the way just doesn't quite feel the way that it used to, or I don't know, it doesn't quite work the way that it used to, doesn't answer questions for us the way that it used to. I also think that for a lot of reasons, this is a really, really hard time to be a Christian in where we are in the world right now. I think for a lot of us, we're finding ourselves asking more questions than finding answers, and we're wondering if there's still a place for us in the midst of what feels like a really messy spot to be. Friends, Mari and I have been there. You are not alone, and that's why I am so excited to be talking through this. Mari is one of the wisest women I know. Her insight on this topic is going to blow you away. I am just, just so honored to get to share this episode with you. So, you ready? Here's my conversation with Mari. I'm so excited for this episode. I'm sitting here in my closet with my real life dear friend, Mari. Mari, welcome back to Girls Night. Thank you. Happy to be back in the closet. Uh, this is a different closet. We have been doing a little tour to closets. <laughs> um, you guys know I moved recently and we're still figuring out like where our little Girls Night studio is going to be. We'll have to take a picture of what this one looks like because it's wild. It's it crazy. feels very on brand though. We're surrounded by Girls Night merch. That's true. That's true. I don't know when. Actually, that might be... Perfect. I think this is coming out maybe the week before it does. But anyway, behind the scenes, I've been working on all new like gear for us as as a girls' night community, and I'm super excited about it. And I do this thing when I'm working on something new, where I kind of go into a hole and work on it, and then come out and I'm like, look at look what I made. <laughs> Instead of like sharing the process with people, um, which I should totally share the process more. But anyway, so I'm really glad you said that. But we really are. We're sitting here surrounded by our brand new set of girls' night sweatshirts, and they're all hung up to try to, like, insulate this really echoey closet. Um, It's really cute, guys. You're going to be excited about this new stuff. It's really soft. I'm going to probably steal something on my way out. Yeah, she is. Uh, Mari definitely also, like, stuck her hand in the sweatshirt to, like, make sure it was soft. And I mean, Steph and I are quality experts when it comes to sweatshirts. So (laughs) I was like, let's check this out. What are we working with? I've been wearing this brand for, like, a couple months now and like washing it and seeing if it still like brings me joy and that's yeah we're we that's a very very appropriate way of saying that we are quality experts when it comes to oh, yeah. we've got you yeah. yeah okay well so Mari 
we've had you on the show several times now. Mm -hmm. I've stopped counting because (laughs) why, why even? But for women who haven't met you yet, tell us who you are and what you do. And then I have two like leading questions for fun facts that I I want you to answer. (laughs) Okay. So my name's Mari. If you follow me on social media, you know me as Mariko, my full name, Mariko Clark. I'm a writer and a reader and a podcaster. I have a podcast called The Pause Podcast, where we do sort of these audio devotionals with mindfulness. And I'm a mom. I've got three kids at home and I have a great husband and I'm working on a book that I think we're going to talk about at some point. Yeah. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. So for the fun fact, these two things I think will give people a good sense of who you are. Okay. Um, Which I think is important, especially for an episode like this. It's like we're talking about some deep things here and I think it's important to to like you need to laugh with your friends and you need to like know who you're working with before you can go to some of these deep places so I think that these things will give people a sense of like who's guiding them here today okay so first question is can you give us a rundown of what Halloween costumes have looked like (laughs) in your house for your kids the last couple years and then tell us about the dilemma that you're working through currently oh yeah I would love to crowd crowdsource this dilemma if we have time so Probably the year that I think you're referencing. The first one was um, Linda Gunderson. Is that the one? Yes. So my daughter, Ada, some of you are familiar with her, is this like beautiful, imaginative little like elfin fairy queen. And she <laughs> um, she always has really, really, really specific ideas for Halloween. So one year she decided she wanted to be Linda Gunderson. And there's going to be like a small population of your audience who's like, oh my gosh, Linda. If you aren't a Linda fan, it's from the movie Rio, who came, which came out like, I don't know, like 2009, but my daughter is hooked on it. Um, it's a movie about birds who go to Brazil. <laughs> and Linda is one of the bird's owners. And there's this big scene that if you know Ada, you're probably like, oh yeah, that Linda. At the end of the movie, she's like on this float for Carnival and she's in this like really sparkly, beautiful costume. And so my friends who heard that Lin- that Ada was going to be Linda were like, oh, that totally makes sense because Ada's very fancy. No, no, no. Like she didn't want to be Linda on the stage. She wanted to be this really specific brief scene from the beginning of the movie where Linda is working in a bookstore and she's wearing a red button up shirt, jeans and glasses. And Ada was like, Linda! So we got her little glasses, red button up shirt, jeans, which of course is like not really a Halloween costume. So then we go trick or treating. Oh, so then we dress Noe, her little sister, as the bird blue. So Noe was dressed as a little bluebird or a blue macaw. So we would go trick-or-treating and get to the house and people are like, oh, hey, little girl. And she's like, I'm Linda Gunderson. And they're like, oh, okay, what's that? You know, from the movie Rio. And they're like, what? And we're like, she works in a bookstore. And like, nobody got it. So people are like, oh, okay, cool. Take your candy. Get out of here. So that was um, Linda Gunderson. Then the next year, similarly, she had like this really obscure... She wanted to be one of the girls from the How to Train Your Dragon series. Like, not the main character. There's, like, a, a girl who's adjacent to the main character. But she always makes Noah be her little sidekick. So then Noah was the dragon that the girl rides on. Okay. Which we were like, sorry, Noah, that you're always the sidekick. But, like, the alternative was that Ada wanted to be Mulan and then Noe could be Mulan's grandma. <laughs> <laughs> so we're like, you know what, Noe? Like, the dragon is better than the grandma. In a way, although we would have loved to see Noe as a grandma. I, me too. Also, I would have thought that Noe could be the dragon. In, there's also a dragon in Mulan. No, 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 but Ada decides it, so she's the grandma. That makes total sense. Ada likes yeah. to really keep Noe in her place. Yeah. She's mm-hmm. like, no, you can't be a cool character. Yeah. Okay. Um, and Noe doesn't care. Yeah. So then this year... Didn't Noah wear... 
She still wears that dragon costume, right? Yeah. Oh, it's like a size 12 month, I think. And she's three years old now. So it's like a crop top <laughs> dragon sweatshirt, really, at this point. But it has a hood and she keeps it on. Noel lived as a dragon from, for like the full year after she was a dragon for Halloween. Like every morning she'd wake up, you know, strap on a diaper in her dragon costume and like just lived her best life. So that is everything that I need to like. Everything that I know about parenting, the, like, four things I've, like, learned from Mari. I just read them down. Um, that's amazing. I feel like I should just interject really quick and tell you that the girls are going to be skunks for Halloween. No! They're going to be skunks. And it's it. because they're super cute. The costumes are super cute. And because they're so stinky. They're stinky. <laughs> that's so cute. Babies, baby babies, like, kids in Halloween costumes, always cute. But babies in Halloween costumes... It makes me weak. Like, I just, when I look at them, I'm like, oh, it's the cutest. I know. I know. So they're going to be skunks. Especially when it's something, like, not super, like, oh, it's, like, the cutesiest thing in the world. When it's, like, a little bit off to, uh-huh. like, skunks. It's yeah. so cute. I love <laughs> yeah. that. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so then this year. Um, so this year, our dilemma is that Noah really, really, really wants to be a worm. And so we're like, oh, cute, like an inchworm, so like a green inchworm, or, like, the very hungry caterpillar. Mm-hmm. Thinking of these cute ideas. She's like, no, I want to be a worm who is brown and pink and lives in the ground. And we're like, okay, so an earthworm. But here's the dilemma. If we dress her as an earthworm, however we manage to pull that off, she's either going to look like a chunk of intestine, right? (laughs) Or she's going to... Can I say penis on this podcast? You can. She's going to look like a penis, right? (laughs) There's no way around it. And then we're like, I mean, we could just like... I mean, we give her googly eyes, and it's like, then it's a penis with googly eyes. Like, there's, it's just like, we don't know the way around it. And we keep trying to convince her, like, wouldn't it be cool if the if the worm was a rainbow? She's like, no, it's pink and brown. Come on, guys. Like, you guys stupid? You've seen a worm before. So we're like, how are we going to get around the whole phallic worm thing? And people were saying, like, make her come out of an apple. Make her come out of a flower pot. Like, it's all about context. I'm not crafty. I don't know how to do that. So my thought is... And then to wrap her somehow, maybe like in a long pillowcase. I don't know. So we're going to turn her like into a phallic worm shape. <laughs> and then I'm just going to put my brand- great ideas to put a name tag on her that just says, hi, my name is Worm. <laughs> <laughs> and just leave it at that. Whatever. It is what it is. It's COVID. She's going to see like eight people on Halloween anyways. <laughs> oh, hi, my name is Worm. And Ada's going to be, I think, Wonder Woman or something. She has like... A whole plan. She's going to steal all the attention anyway, so now we can just be her little, be her little penis worm self and <laughs> just do her thing. Oh, she was a crow last year. I forgot we didn't cover that one. Oh, my ah, god! Noe. Ah, that's so fun. So okay. that's my Halloween saga. Well, okay, so here's the... This is, like, a great transition. The second thing I want to hear from you that I feel like just... It, it's one of my favorite things I've ever heard from you, and I tell people it all the time. Aww. So I feel like they should hear it from the actual source. <laughs> Can you tell us, um, and this is something that you've talked about with your kids, but yes. also applies to me and you and every single person listening. Tell us the difference between fancy and beautiful. Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, this applies to everyone because I, I swear I say it in the mirror at myself a lot. So my my oldest Ada that I've talked about is very fancy. Like, she's always been into sparkles and glitter and crowns. And, like, I tried to be very much like, do you like trucks? Do you like superheroes? She's always like, no! (laughs) She's, like, way on the girly extreme. Like, that's fine. From, like, a really, really young age. Like, as soon as she could walk, she'd walk into my closet and find something and, like, drape it around herself and be fancy. So I feel like we just, like, without meaning to, a lot of us will look at a little girl who's doing something like that and say, like, oh, you're so pretty. You look so pretty. Oh, look at you with your, fan-. like, 
you know, if she puts like a dress on, we say, look how pretty you are. Look how beautiful you are. And then I started thinking that through like, well, then, then are we telling her that these things make her beautiful, that these outward things that she can put on, that she can increase her beauty or that she can like, that's what creates her beauty. It just like started messing with me. And I'm sort of just sort of a words person anyway. So I was getting really granular with it. And I really wanted her to understand that, that when she's getting that feedback, it just wanted to make that distinction for her. So we started, oh, and she always wanted to wear my makeup. Like, can I have lipstick? Can I have this? Can I have that? And I didn't know how to explain to this tiny person who's watching me, you know, put these, I don't know, colors, these colored glues on my face (laughs) in the morning, why I'm doing that. Mm. And so we ended up trying to make the distinction, I would say, like, does makeup make you pretty? Does makeup make you beautiful? And I like trained her to say it. <laughs> she say, no. We say, what makes you beautiful? God makes you beautiful. So like you coming into the world, you as your unique, amazing self, like you are beautiful. You are perfect. God made you that way. Every person is beautiful. What does makeup make you then? Because then it's like, well, then what is this thing and why are we doing? So makeup makes you fancy. And it's just been like such a nice distinction for us in a lot of different ways. Well, why does... Why does this person do that? Well, that's what makes them feel fancy. That thing that they put on that's different from how you like to get dressed up, that makes them feel feel fancy, especially now that we have another daughter. And Noe is very different from Ada, our little worm. Mm -hmm. She, you know, she likes to put on her dragon costume and her diaper. And Ada's like, why doesn't she want to be pretty? And then it's like, that's that great discussion of like, she is pretty. Mm -hmm. She's beautiful, just like every other person on this planet. But she likes to be fancy by wearing a crop top dragon sweatshirt. <laughs> That's what makes <laughs> her fancy. Diaper, yeah. Makes it make it makes you fancy. Dragon costume makes her fancy. But God is what makes us beautiful. So mm. I feel like I have to remind myself of that a lot too. I love that so much. And and we've talked about that a bunch. And to the point that like I mean Carl really knows that. And so before I don't know what I was wearing, but it's happened a couple of times where I've been like. Do I look pretty? And he said, you always look pretty. You mm. always are pretty. You're always beautiful, but you look very fancy. Yeah. And I just, I love that. And I, it, there are so many little things like that. I say little things, but like really big things that I've learned from you. And, and so that I feel like is a really good segue into what we're talking about, because I think a lot of times the really big things in life get too big for us Mm -hmm. and they become really overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it's like, we're kind of just in this spin cycle of trying to figure out what's true and where we're going and like what is happening around us. And when we can just simplify things a little bit and get back to the basics and just, yeah, just get back to the beginning, it just makes a really huge difference. And I think that that's, that's something that I, for, for my whole faith life, um, that's something that I've thought about is anytime I try to get really big with my faith and really thinky. And every time I try to pretend I'm a theologian, I just end up knowing God less than ever. And every time I make things simple and every single time I come to him like a kid, like Jesus tells us to do, or every time I, one of my favorite things is when Jesus is asked what the two greatest commandments are. And he says, love God and love each other. Like that's, that's it. But I come back to that all the time because Oh, it's like it may seem like that's simplifying it too much, but I think we can spend our whole lives really focusing on that and like that's enough work for us to do. Yeah. And the rest of the things that are just confusing and like actually pull us away from God and away from each other can just sort of fall away. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I'm really, really, really excited for our conversation today. I 
cried a lot uh, as I was writing <laughs> these questions. Um, and I'm just so grateful for your work. So before uh, before we get into all of it, give us some details. Tell us about the Book of Belonging. And I want to know about the Kickstarter because this mm-hmm. is happening like in real time right now. Yes. Okay. So the Book of Belonging is this book that I've been working on. And we are not going traditional publishing with it. We are going to raise the funds on Kickstarter for a lot of reasons that we don't have time for, um, but mostly so that we could maintain creative control about a lot of these things that were super important to us. So we're launching on Kickstarter, which is a fundraising platform. Um, so it's sort of like a pre-order situation where like you would choose what you want um, from our little menu, give us the money. And then if we reach our goal, then everyone gets their stuff. If we don't reach our goal, then you get your money back. So it's sort of like a low risk thing. So the Kickstarter is launching on October 19th, which is a few days from now as we're recording. I don't know when this is going to air, but the book is essentially a story Bible, a story Bible for everyone's kids, but for the child and all of us as well. Um, And I think what makes it unique from sort of what's out there is that there's going to be more female stories included. That was sort of how the whole project started. There's going to be, when it comes to the male stories, sort of more well-rounded men. I feel like sometimes, without meaning to, people writing story Bibles are like, what do boys want to hear? They want to hear action figures and violence, and he was in charge. And so all these stories end up being about, like, you're either a king or you're, like, a warrior hero. And it's like, but our sons, my son, I want him to hear about how, like, Men can have compassion and men can be tender and men can be creative and men can, all these things that like are also important too. So we're going to incorporate some of that, have these a little more well-rounded men. Um, we want the the images to be diverse. I'm working with a really, really amazing illustrator um, and we're making sure some of these, that Jesus is brown and that some of these skin tones are a little more appropriate for uh, the Middle East where the Bible is set. And we're including some learning tools that I think um, are important for me as a mom that I know a lot of my friends are looking for. So some of them are wonder moments, um, which is to sort of pull our kids into this I don't know territory as we're talking about like when our faith gets too big. I think a lot of us were trained like, well, you have to figure it out. Like you got to have the answer. That's what loving God is all about. And a lot of us were raised with like sort of this like apologetic spent of like, if you don't have an answer, people aren't going to want to learn about God because you seem confused. Yes. But I think that there's a way to to sort of hold both intention and that I hope to raise my kids with is like, you can say, I don't know, and that's okay. And in fact, like, that's really honoring to God. Like, would you really want to worship a God that you fit in like your tiny little brain, my tiny little brain? I'm not the smartest human ever. If I could fully understand God A to Z, like that means he's on my level. Does he really deserve my trust and worship? So I think being able to say, I don't know, and to wonder about things actually like brings a lot of honor and glory to God being like, oh, cool. You're outside of my ant brain. That's perfect. (laughs) (laughs) That's reassuring in a way. Um, So we have these sort of wonder moments at the end of some of the stories being like, you know, get quiet and close your eyes and think about, you know, Moses says he talked to God face to face as a man talks with his friend. What do you think that was like? Like, let's not skim over that. Close your eyes. Like, what do you think God's voice sounded like? What do you think Moses saw when this was happening? And like, we're not giving you an answer. We're giving you an opportunity to step into that mystery and not be afraid of it. As an adult, here we are like 34, like, but we don't know. And I hope that my kids would be like, oh, I don't know. That's so cool. Yeah. So it's just like a little bit of a perspective shift. Um, Another tool we're putting in is contemplative moments, which is something that I do on the pause, um, the pause podcast 
and just um, helping our kids get mindful and quiet. Like they live in such a fast paced life or not even just the kids. I keep saying our kids, like us too, our Mm -hmm. little inner children, like we just need to quiet down. It gives when we want to have space to sort these big, crazy things out. What really helps is silence, solitude, and stillness. These are like contemplative, ancient contemplative practices that so many people I feel like are starting to tap into today, like mindfulness, or you have like the Calm app or whatever the other one is, like Breathe or um, Headspace, Headspace, where we're all just like trying to clear out some space to just like stop going crazy for a second. Yeah. And like that helps our soul breathe too. It's not just our mind. Like we need space to just like be in the presence of God, but also also to just like allow these things that we're learning to sink down into our heart. And like, we have to give our kids and our inner children space for that. So there's these contemplative moments built into some of them where it'll be, you know, either like more general mindful practices like body scans or a visualization. But then there's some more formalized practices like Lectio Divina, which is you you focus on one scripture verse and just yeah. like think about it and sit quiet with it. So we're building some of those into it as well. So we have the, I was sort of going through, we have these three learning pillars. So that was one, wonder, contemplation. And the third one is naming this idea of teaching our kids their identity. That like, if you, if your foundation is built on knowing who you are, then everything else can sort of go on that. And it won't matter if it falls apart that, and it should fall apart at some point, right? Our, our understanding of God should crack open every once in a while, because if it, like we said, if it fits into our brain, it's not worth worshiping. And so we are building this this naming tool, which is um, teaching kids, who does God say God is? Who does God say you are? And what do we do with that? So they're going to learn, you know, some of the more formal names for God, but also what does God say about you? And over and over again, we just want to drill into them. Like God says you are loved. God says you belong. And God says you're good. When we say good, I feel like that trips up some people. They're like, we're not saying you're perfect. Nobody's perfect. That's like sort of an American American thing that perfect equals good. But like when we get into the Eastern mindset of like these Hebrew people who were writing this book to other Hebrew people, good is like a function. So good is like you are perfectly created for what God wants you to do. You're so good for that. Like the image of God in you makes you 150% capable of what God wants you to do. Like you're good. You're so complete and whole in God. And God's image is so complete and whole in you. And that's what makes you able to do these things He asks you to do. And I think it creates a lot of courage when we're asked to do things that feel scary or to sort through things that feel big or to do really hard things that like we would never ask to do, but our life sort of is like, here you go. (laughs) Here's a really difficult circumstance. Um, And when you are grounded in this identity of who you are, this naming, then we can move forward into this other stuff that we say on the pause, if you follow that, that identity informs action. So like when we're grounded in who God says that we are, that informs everything that we do. Actually, no matter what we believe about ourselves, it informs what we do. So who we believe, what we believe about who we are dictates how we act. So our identity can make us act in ways that we hate. Like when we believe that we are um, unworthy or that we're broken or that we are um, unwanted or that we've been abandoned or that we're alone, that can make us act in really ugly ways, in ways that we're like, I wish that I didn't do that, but I didn't feel like I had a choice. But when we believe that we're beloved and we're belonging and good, it creates this this purpose and this courage and this 
this feeling of being held where it's like circumstances can like smack at us our whole life, but like that is what should remain constant for us. And that everything else seems to fall into place when you continually come back to that identity. And so that's what we're trying to create in some of these stories is like, who are you and who is God? And how does that foundation help you to to spring forward into these other things, if that makes sense? It makes so much sense. I'm sitting here. I just have my eyes closed. I'm like, I just, <laughs> I, I do. I feel just like even held now, like oh. listening to you talk. I do have a question about this. Yeah. You know, you said that the good thing trips people up. And I think it's because when, I think a lot of times when the gospel is shared with us or when we're sharing the gospel, we say like, so you're really bad. Mm -hmm. um, And that's why Jesus had to come and die for your sins. And then that connects you back to God. And like, how does this, I mean, this is an enormous question. And uh, so sorry for just like, it's like. No, hit me with it. 9.30 in the morning. (laughs) Um, I don't know how much coffee you've had this morning. So uh, all the grace, but. Where do where do you see sort of a an overlap in those things? I think that when we simplify things for the sake of teaching kids or for the sake of like creating kids products, I think people have tended to work backwards where it's like, okay, if heaven equals goal, then we have to go backwards a step. Okay, well, how do we get kids to heaven? Okay, if we want to get kids to heaven, then they need to be saved. Back up a step. How do they get saved? Well, if we want them to be saved, they need to know Jesus. Okay, well, how do we get them interested in Jesus? Well, we got to let them know that they need him. So we have to tell them how bad they are so that they'll want Jesus. But I would argue that with my kids, like they already know, like we all as humans, we're very much aware of where we're lacking or where we've messed up and where we've done things that we're not proud of. What we're not very much aware of and what we don't have a great grasp on is where we're good and not good in the perfect sense and not good in like, I don't need anything, but where we're, where the image of God sits fully in us. So I think that if you, if I were to tell you stuff like, actually, like you've hurt me as a friend in this way, or you, I don't think that you do this perfectly. And actually like, your your bun isn't perfectly centered on your head. You would be like, I know. And I think about it all the time, right? Like we're yeah. all like, yeah, we're so aware of our shadow all the time. But like, if I were to tell you like, Steph, you're one of the most brilliant women that I've ever worked with. And you inspire me so often. And like, you're already, I can see your body kind of like crunching. It's like, we need to hear that so badly, but there's also like a huge part of us that's like, no, 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 right? Like when we hear the good things about us, that's where we feel resistance, not when we hear the bad things about us. And I think our kids are very much the same. My kids are that way where they're like, no, I know that I dumped applesauce on the chair. Like you don't have to tell me that I'm not a perfect kid. It's <laughs> a very specific example. <laughs> yeah, I wonder where I got that. Um, <laughs> but when we tell them like, oh man, you should see my girls. When I tell them like, you belong and you're so loved and you're so good. We tell them this every night and we do affirmations with them. Like, I'm loved, I'm loved. I'm good, I'm good. I belong, I belong. They just like, you can see their shoulders start to hunch up. And every once in a while, Ada, who's my eldest, will say like, really, mom? Really? And we're like, yes, really. That We don't believe in our light. We be, we so readily believe our darkness, but we don't believe in our light. And so I think that this is a long answer to your question, but that has the same effect that if we want our kids to know that they need Jesus, I don't think telling them that they believe and that they're beloved and belonging and good negates that. If, if anything, it draws them to God because it's like, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance, right? It's like, it's God's goodness. And it's his, his love for us that makes us want to stay with him, right? Like to teach 
our kids that they're bad and that like, that's just creating this sort of like Stockholm syndrome. And then like, well, stick with Jesus because you're trash. It's like, well, that'll create a lot of shame and shame creates really obedient kids. Like Renee Brown says that, that like shame creates obedient kids. So you're going to see a lot of effectiveness there, but it's, it's, they're adjusting their behavior. They're not, it's not transformational for their heart. What's transformational for our hearts is love. What's transformational for our hearts is this sense of unconditional love that like, I'm always here. Like I'm always right here in this belovedness, belonging and goodness. And like from that place, like Jesus can speak to us and Jesus can work in our heart. And like when we're held in there and when we come to him because he loves us, that's where transformation happens. We don't, when we come to him because we're ashamed because we're like, sorry, I'm trash. I really need you. Then you come in this defensive, shameful posture and he's like, okay, I love you. And you don't even believe it. Mm. Does that sort of answer your question? I kind of got, I got on a roll there. No, yes. It's, it, this is one of those things where when when you said, sorry, this is long. I'm like, there's no way to make that short. Like that's not, that was not. And it's even, I even oversimplified it. Some of that's just like tangle of like theology of like, you know, whatever it's called, um, total depravity is like this theology that a lot of like our contemporary doctrine is built off of. And I'm not a huge fan of it, but I feel like it seeps its way into the way that we talk to kids, whether we agree with it on a higher level or not, it just makes it easier to create these pathways to our kids' behavior. But at the same time, like when we change our kids' behavior, it doesn't change their hearts. And it's like, finding that balance there is really tricky as a parent. Yeah. And as a, if you're a, a leader, if you're working at a church, it's like, are we looking for, to adjust kids' behavior? Are we looking to, to keep their hearts in Christ? Yeah. It's, um, I, I really love what you said at the beginning about God not fitting in our brains. And one of the most helpful things with my faith throughout my, my faith life, when I, so the girls have been in the community for a long time, probably know this, but when I first became a Christian, I didn't know anything about the Bible. Like the, it wasn't that I like cracked open a Bible and was like, ah, oh, enlightenment, like <laughs> I'm here. Um, it was relationship. It was friendship. Yep. It was seeing my friends love Jesus. And that was sort of the invitation that like, I, I mean, there were, there were like several pieces of it, but that was a really big part of it. And my best friend, Michelle, she was a Christian a long time before I was. And so she would tell me things about God and tell me things about the Bible. And that was really helpful. And I got to ask her a lot of questions about like, well, what about this? What about this? As I was trying to figure out my faith, I just like slammed her with questions. And back to your point from the beginning, we are taught a lot of times that like, you need to have all the answers. Cause yeah, if some, if you're confused, then the person who's asking you the questions, like, isn't going to believe anything you say. But Michelle took a different approach and she would always say, that's above my pay grade. Like, I don't, I don't know. Yeah. And I don't think I knew at the time how profound that is. Yeah. But it was really helpful for me as like a total non-believer. Like I had no faith at all, but having her say, that's above my pay grade. Like, I don't know, but I'm really excited to ask God one day. Or like, you know, when I get to talk to him face to face, I'm going to be like, I have some questions about this. (laughs) Yeah. And I've been, so, I mean, really since then, I've been making my own list of like, I don't know about that, but like, I have some questions for, for God about this. And so that's, that's like part of what I was brought into like as a, as a new Christian. And it was just really helpful for me. And then now, you know, my husband, Carl, he's, if anyone's like an Enneagram person, um, he's a five, he's a learner. He is brilliant. He's truly the smartest person I've ever met. Yeah. Um, the first thing I noticed about him was 
I remember like one of the first things they said about him was like, I want my brain to work like Carl's when I grow up. Um, (laughs) When I'm older. When I'm older. And uh, he's just, he's totally brilliant. But when he talks about God, he'll say all the time, like, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. And he doesn't not know about anything. Like he knows about everything. (laughs) Yeah. But the fact that he can say like, I don't know, it's, you know, like I'm excited to ask him one day or like that's above my pay grade. It's just so beautiful. And so um, anyway, I like kind of got off track here, but everything that you just said is so good and so helpful. And that whole, anyway, the can of worms I just opened up is like really gigantic. Yeah. Um, and so I'm glad that, that we prefaced it with like, also like, we don't know, it's really big. It's ho- this whole idea of like already and not yet mm-hmm. uh, is really hard to like, we're already good, but God's still making us good. And mm-hmm. like, we were already good from the beginning, but we also still need Jesus. Like the whole thing is just, it's a lot. It's a yeah. lot. But anyway, I, I just, basically, that's what I was trying to say is it's just, it's a it's a big can of worms, but you did a really beautiful job. Thank you. And it is um, shameless plug, but li- this conversation, the reason I felt prepared to answer it, Lindsay and I, my my co-host on the pause, unpacked a lot of this in on day four of our James study. So if you guys are listeners of the pause, like we got really got into like the idea of being good and what that means and what God says about us and what God doesn't say about us and what we believe about ourselves. Um, So we really unpacked it from like Bible verses and theology perspective, if you want a much deeper dive. I love that. I love that. Okay. Well, so let me get, let me get back on track. (laughs) um, We could talk about a million things for a million years. Hey friends, I want to pop in for one quick second to thank our sponsor for today. Our sponsor for today's episode is a company called Native. Now, Native is a deodorant brand that creates safe, simple, effective products with trusted ingredients. They have thousands of five-star reviews, and so you know that people are truly obsessed with their products. And I know why. Recently, I've been trying to incorporate cleaner, non-toxic products into my everyday routine, and I love this brand because they use simple ingredients that are found in nature, like coconut oil and shea butter, and they formulate their products without aluminum, parabens, or talc. You guys, I have tried so many different types of deodorant, and this one is by far my favorite. Making the switch to an aluminum-free deodorant was so easy, and it works great. They're also amazing because they have something for everyone. Native has scents for both men and women. One of my favorite scents is lavender and rose. It's light and it's feminine, but it's also clean and fresh, and it still smells fresh even at the end of the day. You don't end up with that like half-sweat, half-old deodorant smell that so many others leave you with even after just a few hours. I feel fresh and clean all day as I use it, and best of all, I feel comfortable using it because I know I'm not putting any scary chemicals on my skin. Along with deodorant, Native also has body wash, toothpaste, and a new mineral-based sunscreen, awesome, all made with great, simple ingredients. And of course, I love Native even more because they have a gift for my listeners. You can stay fresh and stay clean with Native by going to nativedeo.com girls, or you can use the promo code girls at checkout, and that'll give you 20% off of your first order. So that's nativedeo.com slash girls, or you can use the promo code girls at checkout for 20% off your first order. I want to say that one more time, just because I know that that's a lot of information. You go to nativedeo.com slash girls, or you can use the promo code girls at checkout and you get 20% off your first order. Native, thank you so much for sponsoring our girls night. We just love having you. Okay, now without any further ado, let's jump back into my conversation with Mari. As you're talking about like as a parent and parenting yourself and stuff, I don't know if anyone else is doing this, but like 
everything that you're saying, I'm immediately applying to myself. Yeah. So like you're saying like, you know, kids and I'm like, okay, but me, <laughs> like yeah. kids. And I'm like, but me, Yeah. I have kids, they're tiny. And so, you know, we're basically trying to teach them like to not put everything in their mouth. So, so we're not quite there yet, but everything that you're talking about, while I know that like on some level, I understand that it's applicable to kids. I'm like, this is going straight to my heart. And so I yeah. hope that everyone else is making the conversion too. Yeah. Um, but I, th- I think that they are. I would agree. And I, ironically, I feel like when I say parenting, I also, even though I have three kids and they're older than your kids, when I say parenting in my brain, I'm also thinking me because I don't know about you, but like to me, the most transformational and like hugest part of parenting for me has been like, oh wait, I'm also parenting myself. Like in order to pass this information on and to process it for these tiny humans, like it has to go through me and it has to transform me and it has to change my heart for me to know that it's significant. And as I'm telling my kids these things like, you know, God already made you beautiful, makeup makes you fancy. Like I'm telling that to like the littler versions inside of me that are still hurting. Like little Mari still needs to hear that. And so I I always think like, if I could go back in time and tell myself something before I had kids, it would be like, be so kind and loving to yourself the way that you hope to be to your kids someday. Mm -hmm. Like all the things you hope to be able to tell your kids someday, like be telling them to yourself now because you're gonna have to do that eventually anyways. Yeah. And like, that's what makes it so therapeutic for me. Parenting is therapeutic and really hard at the same time because of that realm. Like I'm also slogging through this on my own, on my own journey in order to pass it on to you. And isn't that an amazing honor? But at the same time, like, isn't it so hard? So yes, like if you are applying it to yourself, if you're not a parent yet, then like, bravo, because like, if you do become a parent someday, you're going to be like, oh, I got (laughs) Oh, I already started through that. Now let me pass it on to you in instead of doing it in real time the way that I'm trying to. Yes. Yes. Um, So I know that the book of belonging started because of a question that Ada asked you. And this question makes me want to like flip tables. Um, So tell us what the, what the question is. Mm -hmm that like kicked this whole thing off. Yeah. So Ada and I were swimming in the pool one day and she kind of pipes up out of nowhere and is like, mom, does God love boys more than girls? Like sat up and was like, why would you say that? And she goes on to explain that her kid's Bible that we read to her at the time that we had only had two girl stories. She's like, there's only two girl stories. So I just, I you know, that's the conclusion she came to. And in my brain, I kind of thought like, Okay, that's probably an exaggeration. Two seems out of, I think there's like 50 in this book. Two out of 50 seems low. So I go home, I start flipping through this book we have, and sure enough, there's only two stories that are like um, about the main character is female. And granted, the Bible itself is skewed towards male stories because of the time that it was written, but it's not two out of 50 skewed. So I'm like, that's weird. So I get my hands on all these other story Bibles. I start flipping through those because that's how I I just started nerding out on it, like taking statistics. And it was the same. It's like a very, I was, I don't know why I was surprised, but I was, that's pretty standard is that female stories and rep illustrations. Because here I thought like, okay, well, the stories are already skewed in the Bibles, but surely they'll show them in the images. They want us to see our daughters in these pictures. So, you know, here's the story about Jesus, like a lot of the stories about Jesus. So it's going to be a male story surely there'll be women in the crowd. And that was the strangest thing to me is there's not even a lot of women in the crowd or in the marketplace. I mean, I would scan each page, be looking in the distance at the person standing on the hill or just like lots of beards. So that that really propelled me towards like that specific combination of heartbreak and rage that y- you feel on behalf of someone you really love. 
I was like, oh no, (laughs) I have to do this for you. So that's sort of what started me on this journey of like, all right, well, apparently this isn't out there. I've got to make something for you. Yeah. Um, And that's sort of how the Book of Belonging started. It's grown a lot in in my vision for it since then. But that, yeah, that's the story behind the beginning of it. That may, like that combination. Yeah, that re- I I feel that rage every time I think about that question. It's yes. just like, how is this possible? You you kind of touched on this, but I know that this has become something a lot bigger. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's really, you know, what I I want to spend some time talking about today is tell tell us what bigger has looked like because I think that there's a lot there are a lot of us who are like feeling similar things. Yeah, it has grown because it started. You know, I wanted to include more female stories, and then it sort of grew, and I'm like okay, let's, let's add these, you know, identity and wonder and contemplation. Those things are important too. And I want to, you know, I want to write it for my son as well. You know, I I don't want things to just always be about morality and like whether you obeyed or didn't obey. But when I get to the heart of it, it is bigger than that for me. I feel like there's this whole, when I talk to my friends, a lot of us are in the same place that there's this whole generation of us who we're reaching this place in our lives, whether it's like our age or our culture or things that are going on or what, where our concept of God has outgrown this box that we've kept it in for so long. It kind of the, kind of smashed its way out of the box. And that that is really scary, but also really exciting, but also really lonely sometimes, especially if you if you sort of had built your foundation on that. That can feel like really world shattering. And then added on top of that, a lot of us are uh, maybe thinking about starting families and we're thinking like, how am I going to pass this truth on to my kids? Do I want to? How much of this do I keep and how much of it do I get rid of? I don't want to throw the the Christ out with the bathwater as yeah. I'm like getting rid of things that are toxic. This is so great. But how do I let go of that? But then hold on, like there's this verse in Thessalonians where it says like, test everything and hold on to the good. And you're like, well, how do I make sure I'm holding on to the good? It can just feel really scary and overwhelming. Um, and we we want to do right for our, by our own stories and right by our kids or right by our future kids. But sometimes it feels like you have to to choose between these two paths that are heading in different directions. So that that I think for me has become sort of the heartbeat of the book beyond wanting to do right by my kids. I want to do right by all of us who are in this sort of this stage of faith where like we're sitting here and we're like, okay, well, here's this box that God was in. Now it's in, it's in shreds around me. What, where do I go from here? How do I pick up the pieces and what pieces do I leave behind? And that's, that's really hard. And I'm, I'm right there with you. I think that there are a couple of things that lead us to this place. One is like our circumstances. Mm -hmm. So it's like, this person died. Like I prayed for their healing and like they died. Or like I was, I've been really hoping for this thing forever and it's not happening. And like, I don't understand. And it just feels like if God was present, if he was good, if he cared about me at all, like this would not be this way, but here it is. And I just don't know what to, I have my faith in one hand and I have my circumstances in the other, and I don't know what to do with this. They don't match up sometimes. Yeah. What do I do with that? Yeah. Yeah. And then I think that there's this other thing that, you know, I think for a lot of us, we have come to a place where the faith we were handed at some point or even the faith we picked up for ourselves doesn't feel the way that it used to. I know that for me, it doesn't have anything to do with God or with Jesus. It's it's more that there have been like several different 
versions or brands of Christianity that I feel like have become apparent to me in the last few years. And I've just been trying to figure out where I fit in the midst of that. Yeah, yeah. I think for a lot of us, we've seen a lot of leaders that we really look up to take some pretty big falls Mm -hmm. or make some really, really horrible decisions. Mm -hmm. I think for a lot of us, we've seen some cracks in the institutions that we trusted and Mm -hmm. relied on. We've seen some really ugly things come out of the church, especially Mm -hmm. in the last few years. I think that we've, on all different sides of the spectrum, found that, that some of the people who believe, who we thought believed all the same things as us, believe some of the same things as us, but then also believe some things that we really, really don't agree with. And that's really hard. And it's really foundation shaking. Yes. And, you know, as I was thinking through this, I was thinking like, it feels like the ground beneath us is shaking. And that is terrifying. But I, I think it actually, I started, and this is like a very incomplete mental picture, but I started to picture like a building that's under construction and it Mm -hmm. has scaffolding like all at the front. And so you can't really see what the building looks like because people are working on it. Um, And there's a foundation of scaffolding. Like it's, you know, you can stand on it, but it's not, it's not the real thing. And I, I think that that's kind of what's starting to come off for a lot of us is the world has been wild. The Like this last year, the last handful of years, and there's more like division, people asking questions, people voicing opinions really, really loudly. Um, there's just more going on than it feels like there has been ever in in my memory. Yeah. And and I think that what's happening for me is that some of the scaffolding is starting to fall off. Yeah. And some of the stuff where it's like, I don't think God really taught me this, or I, this isn't actually in the Bible, but like someone told me this one time and I just mm-hmm. kind of took it as truth. Yes. Or this is kind of what like culture has been telling me. And so I've been sort of relying on that, but that seems to be kind of falling away. Yeah. And the ground is like the, the scaffolding shaking for sure, but there's something really cool that's happening in that it's revealing the building underneath. And yeah. the, the building underneath is the thing that's solid and that's here to stay. Yeah. And this process is really uncomfortable and really scary and hard to talk about, but but I think it's really beautiful. And the reason, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about this yesterday. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about just the conversations that you and I have had and yeah. the conversations I'm having and that so many of the people I love are having. I just, I started crying because you've been leading the way in this for years, Mari. You've been, and for a long time, I don't think I fully understood. I think I am the kind of person who likes bows on things. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I like yeah. neat answers. I like tidy things. I like having a right answer. I like having a bow on it. Yeah. Um, but you've been a a no-bow person for a really long time, yeah. um, specifically in, in your faith. And I think that you know, as I'm I'm putting all these pieces together and I'm thinking about the work you're doing and I'm thinking about where so many of us are um, and just all the, like so many, so many of us are just asking so many different questions about all kinds of parts of our lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I just felt so much gratitude and comfort in your friendship. And so oh, I wanted mm-hmm. to ask you, there are, I think a lot of people who are feeling like their faith doesn't work the way that it used to. Yeah. And um, things that felt sure don't feel sure anymore. And they're wondering if there's a place for them, yeah. if there's a place in the church for them, if there's a place in God's heart for them. Yes. And um, so I wanted to ask you, knowing that you have just a million amazing answers for this you can pick from, like, is there still a place for us if we're messy and unsure about basically everything? Yes, there is. The simple question is that there is. And I'll sit with you right there in that place. And I... I would say, like you say, I've been at this for a few years and I was thinking about that. I'm like, yeah, where did that come from? And I think that that was the gift that grief gave to me. 
I've talked about this on the podcast before, but there was a couple years ago, um, four years now, I went through a really intense season of grief. We lost, we lost a baby and I, my scaffolding came off in my grief. I had been told so many things, not necessarily by God, but by well-meaning um, representatives of God about comfort and hardship and a lot of those platitudes rang really empty in my grief. Um, like everything happens for a reason. God has a plan. That type of thing is innocuous most of the time. But when you're in a horrifying, dark place, that actually makes it worse because then you just feel stupid that you can't get to that level. You're like, okay, well, apparently I should be trusting God in this moment, but instead I feel um, alone and I feel I feel scooped out and dead inside. And so I think that a lot of the scaffolding came off for me in that season of grief that just kind of grief has that effect on you where like it sort of crystallizes everything and it does that process from Thessalonians for you where it's like if you're testing everything and holding on to the good, like the only the good really stays with you in your grief because it's all you can hold on to. It's like your emotional threshold is so low that things kind of burn to the ground and then what's left, you're like, okay, so that was real. Um, so I, I think in a way, as as awful as that season was, that was the gift that it gave to me is I was like, okay, cool. So now I know what survives and what doesn't, yeah. what was real and what was sort of empty and fake. And I think that that's part of what makes, what we're talking about, this process of um, the scaffolding coming off and like seeing what's real underneath is, I think one of the reasons it feels so hard is that we have to sort through how much of this is nostalgia? Like we feel defensive of these things falling apart. And I feel like if faith has been a part of your life for a long time, you're like, how much of this is like nostalgia and how much of it is sacred? Because, you know, we're told like, don't question this. This is God. God is good. God is good. God is good. How much of what we're seeing fall apart and we feel dismayed at that? How much of that needs to fall apart? And you just need to like see it as like this, this thing that was a part of your life that's no longer necessary and you can look at it with nostalgia, but let it go. And how much of it is sacred that you can still cling to and that you can still fight for. And that's like a really hard distinction to make. And I think it makes us feel defensive. Like when we go into these, to use a trendy buzzword, like these deconstructive seasons, I think a lot of times we get in our own way because we don't want to allow ourselves to ask those really hard questions and we don't want to let things fall apart because it feels like we're letting something sacred fall apart and we're, or we're questioning something that we're never supposed to question. But what really comforts me and what comforted me in my grief as I was going through this deconstructive process is that God doesn't really need us to be God's bodyguard. Like mm. God's been doing God's thing forever. And we don't need to be in there in front with our shields and our swords, making sure that no one questions God. Like, it's going to survive. Um, what's good is going to survive. And we can let it fall apart. And we can hold on to the things that last. We can hold on to the things that are sacred. It's not going to miss us because we we let it go. I don't know if that answered the question. I kind of just went off and, and forgot the original question. No, I, I think that that's awesome. Okay. I think that's awesome. I think it is really scary when we ask questions because it's like, you're not supposed to. Mm-hmm. You're like, it's like at all costs, you're supposed to hold this thing together. And it's just a really good reminder that like, God doesn't need us to do that. Like, mm-hmm. again, he's bigger than us. He's bigger than our brains. He's bigger than our muscles too. Yeah. And um, and what's more trusting? Like you talk about how like Carl knows so many things, but he's he's willing to say, I don't know about God. What is a sign of trust more than saying, like, 
for Carl to say, I know this, this is the answer. I'm so set on this answer. That shows that Carl has trust in himself. What's more trusting to say like, I don't know, but God's got it, right? To me, when I see someone able to do that, I'm like, oh, you really trust God. Yeah. When I see someone who's so militant and hands so clenched around this thing that they are so certain is exactly what God is, then I'm like, I don't think that you trust God at all because you're holding on so tightly. You don't have to defend God. If you let go, God would still be God Mm. and would probably like blast out of this confining space that you've kept God in. And you would have this beautiful, expansive view of God that you're not allowing yourself to see right now because you're holding on so tightly. Oh my gosh. Amen to Mm -hmm. that times one (laughs) billion. Oh, one other thing I wanted to say is we were talking about like, can we be messy and in this space all at the same time? I would say yes, because I've experienced it. And I think it's, you're trusting God when you believe that you can stay in this space and be messy. And I would say finding the space that you can belong in when you're in this messy place, I think it starts with that identity portion that like, if you hear if I were to say to you, you're you're so beloved and you belong and you're so good, there's going to be one of those things that sort of like rubs you the wrong way. There's going to be some resistance in you. And I think that coming at that resistance and examining it is where the work starts to carve out your space to be messy and devoted. So like when I started like listening to that messaging, I didn't believe that I was good. Like I didn't believe I was pleasing to God. Um, and those three words, by the way, come from this this moment in scripture where God is, um, John the Baptist is baptizing Jesus and God has this message. Sometimes they say it's like a dove coming from heaven. He says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. So he says, mine. So there's this possession, like you belong, um, beloved, you're you're loved. And, and I'm well pleased. That word pleasing, our best, our best way of understanding that is good. That same spirit that was in Jesus is in us. So we get to receive that message as children of God as well. So, but when we feel that resistance against one of those attributes, I think that's where our work lies. And when we work towards believing that and trusting that, whether it's that you belong or that you're loved or that you're good, you end up clearing out space for you to exist. And you end up finding people who are just desperate for that space too. And you clear out space for them to sit with you. And I think that's what I've found as I've shared about in my grief um, and shared about what I'm learning and about my mess as I'm clearing out space to believe that I'm good. I found all these people who are like, oh, could I sit here too? Like, I just need a place to sit down. And like, do you really believe this? I'm like, yeah, I totally do. Here's why. And it just creates this community that you didn't know needed a place and it's the place that you needed to. And that's where you find your people and that's where you find your purpose. Uh, I feel like we should sit with that for a really long time. <laughs> Everything Mari just said, oh my gosh. Uh, we're going to need to rewind, play that again, <laughs> write it down, tattoo it to your forehead. There, There's this quote, I just was looking it up and it says, uh, the church is not a hospital for sinners. Er, the church is a hospital for sinners, not a museum for saints. Mm, yeah. And I remember hearing that the church that I started going to when I first became a Christian was like a really messy church in mm-hmm. the best way. And I love that. it just was like really open and inviting for people with really messy pasts and mm-hmm. people who just like normally are like just a little too grungy for for church. And I really, really love that. And I think, you know, ever since then, and I mean, really before I was even a Christian, like I am so uninterested in going to any place that's a museum for saints. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. that is just so 
like if you have to put on tights to go to church on Sunday morning, like that is not my place. Um, tights are very itchy. I'm, I'm just totally uninterested. And so I, I think that that if you are messy, the like Jesus is like your guy. Yeah. And and church should be your place. It should be the place for you. And if it's not, that that says more about the church, the, like that specific church, than it does about about you. Um, oh, for sure. And I mean, you see, like, I feel like that's what Jesus is just saying over and over again in Scripture is like, you guys, like, stop trying to make this a museum, like kicking over the tables and yeah. like booting out the Pharisees. Like, that's not what this is supposed to be. And then later on, the early church, you see Paul being like, you guys, like, stop. Yeah. Like, allow these, like, stop with these power games. Stop with these divisions. Like, allow people to be messy and to come eat at the table with you and extend the table and add more chairs. Like, stop trying to make it a museum. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Steph. There's, um, there is an Instagram caption of yours that I have asked you to read for us. If you guys don't follow Mari on Instagram, you really need to. Mari is an incredibly gifted writer, like an incredibly gifted writer. And she somehow is able to like share that on Instagram, which is something that I don't, that it's like. It's I, hard to be brief, isn't it? It's really hard. Yeah. yeah. So uh, this is just like a, the way that you talk about God, and it's because you you know him this way. Like mm-hmm. when you know someone, you get to talk about them. You get to say like, this is who, like, this is who Mari is. And I can talk about you because I know you. And and because you know God, you can talk about him like you know him. And the relationship you have with him is so beautiful. And so it feels like home to me. Oh. Like the way that you talk about him feels like home to me. And so this is just a really perfect example. And really, this is this is an example of why I'm so grateful that you're writing this book because mm-hmm. this is who I want my girls to know. And this is the God that I want to continue to get to know more and more every day. Um, and so you are like capturing a piece of your relationship with him and sharing it with us. And it's so life-changing. Oh, so that means so much to me. So I wrote this, this caption around Easter and it was Easter during COVID. Cause I think I mentioned something later about that. A few nights ago, I was laying down with Ada, trying to help her sleep. Her worries and musings seethe and royal at bedtime. I get that. Mine do too. So on nights when I am my best self, I lay with her and hold her hand and talk it out. I like the idea of heaven, but it also makes me feel spooky and cold. Maybe I don't want to go there, she whispered in the dark. I get it. So many of the descriptions and depictions of heaven that are passed down to us feel vast and sterile a cold marble palace in the clouds. So I told her about the Last Supper, that Jesus came to bring heaven to earth, and on his last night here, he had dinner with his best friends. He served them and loved them. He spoke true and beautiful words to them and called them by name. I told her that years later, when God sent John a vision of heaven, the best way that John could describe what he saw was a wedding feast. I told her to picture sitting around the table on our deck, with the twinkle lights on and Drew's jazz music playing in the background, laughing and snuggling, talking about true and beautiful things, soaking up the love and familiarity in each other's presence. Does that sound spooky? I asked. Oh, does that sound less spooky? I asked. Yes, she said. I never want that to end. I get that. We all get that. We've all felt it. That moment when you're at the table with your best people and you sit back with your warm belly, warm heart, and you feel so fully present, so fully known, so fully tender and astonished and grateful. 
The truest and most beautiful things in our time here are just a glimpse of the truest and most beautiful things to come. I think Jesus knew that. I think it's why the Last Supper was so important, why it's worth celebrating and remembering. As the world begins to open up again and we can once again gather and feast together, let's remember this. This is what Jesus made possible. This is what we embody for the world around us. Not a cold, distant, ungraspable destination, but a love, a belonging, a serving, an abundance that is very near indeed. I love that so much. Mari, do you have just a last piece of encouragement for women who are sitting here feeling like their faith doesn't fit or feel like it used to? I think I would just say that you're not alone. I think that's the hardest part of doing any hard thing is feeling like you're doing it yourself. And I feel like Steph is such an important resource for, I mean, for your audience, because you say that, like, we're not doing it alone. I think that not only are there a lot of people around the country, around the globe who are experiencing this, but probably people in your community are, and they might just not feel comfortable talking about it. But I think that when we're honest about our struggles, not only does that bring us closer to the heart of God, but I think it brings us closer to people who are also seeking after the heart of God. So I think I would say that you're not alone and that, um, I just heard this quote and I loved it, that if it's not a good story, it's not over. So like your story is just not over yet. And I know that that can sound like almost on the edge of like, like a trite Christian platitude, but I think it's at the heart of the gospel too, right? Is that like, just keep going because there's, there's goodness in store and that like, we're in the process of being transformed. And like, sometimes that's really hard, but you're never alone. Like you've got a a community around you. You've got a whole history of people who had to do this whole deconstruction thing. And that is part of growing. I think it can feel like the end. It can feel like things are falling apart, but really they're, um, they're expanding. Hmm. And I think that that, um, at least for me is reassuring. Sometimes you're like, oh, well it's broken. Like, no, it's growing. That's amazing. Mari, would you pray for us? Okay, yeah. God, I'm so thankful to be in this space with girls that love you and want to be like you and want to love others well. I'm thankful that we get to journey towards you together. I'm thankful that you never leave us alone in that journey and that you are the steady heartbeat at the core of who we are, that you tell us and that you're patient with us and that you remind us over and over again that we belong and that we're loved and that we're good. And that when you created us and you looked at us, you just said, very good. Um, I pray that no matter what circumstances tend to slap us in the face this week, that we would come back to that, that we would come back to that that core identity of being loved and belonging to you and that you looked at us and before anything happened, you said that we were good. I pray that we would align our actions with that, that we would align our our friendships and our purpose and our words and our hopes with that identity before anything else. And I pray that we would go out into the world from that place and treat others that way. In your name and for your glory, amen. You guys, isn't Mari amazing? I just love her and I love this conversation and I am so happy I got to share it with you. One thing I wanted to mention quickly is I know we talked about a lot in today's episode. And so if you want to find the links to any of those things, all you have to do is go to our website. 
It's girlsnightpodcast.com. And for every episode, we'll have a blog post with the show notes. All the links will be there for everything we talked about, including links to Mari's podcast, and most importantly, the link to where you can pre-order a copy of the Book of Belonging. Don't forget, her Kickstarter campaign is running right now, and it's only happening for a couple more weeks. And so if you want to support her and pre-order a copy of the Book of Belonging, you can do that right now. I would love it if our Girls' Night community could just really rally around her. The other thing I wanted to mention is that if you haven't had a chance yet, it would mean so much to me if you would take just a quick second to leave us a rating and a review on iTunes. We've gotten so many amazing five-star reviews from y'all, and you've left the sweetest comments. I can't tell you how much it means to me. It also helps out the podcast more than you can imagine. So if you haven't yet, please take just one quick second to leave us a rating and a review. Thanks so much. All right, friends, that's all we have for today, but we'll be back next week with another episode of Girls' Night, and I'm so excited about this next one. I'll see you then.